just hit me in the boot. It was an accident. It was not an accident. Fine, it wasn't. Oh my god. Oh, what? Huh? You want that? Let's go. What you gonna do now, huh? Welcome to the latest edition of Let Me Tell You Something, where myself, Lorcan Mullen, and my co-host discuss a different aspect of the professional wrestling landscape for your oral entertainment. And by we, I mean your co-host, Lorcan Mullen. And with me, as always, is the Eddie Edwards to my Davy Richards, the Claudio Castagnoli to my Chris Hero, the Jack Johnson to my Tom O'Leary, Mr. Simon Cross. Simon, how are you doing today, mate? I'm doing grand. I I love the Anchorman reference there, by the way. That's how I roll. (laughs) It's my hog. That's the only thing I love. That's it. What do you love? I love scotch, the smell of rich mahogany, and of course, my dog, Baxter. What we are doing today is a new topic of conversation for us. It is an area that is a common part of wrestling, particularly those who are influenced by the Japanese tradition of wrestling, although it has its examples within the American milieu and all other areas as well. Simon, what very specific parts of professional wrestling are we discussing today? Uh, we're discussing strike exchanges. And um, when you said milieu of American professional wrestling, one of the most iconic uh, sections of video, I would say, is in American wrestling is obviously the Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Rock My Way pre-WrestleMania yeah, 17 yeah. promo and one of my favourite bits in that especially because it matches up with the music is when Austin and Rock are having a strike exchange yeah dude this time I'm gonna let it all come out they absolutely start levering each other I, I would say that's that clip is seared into a generation of wrestling fans minds the weirdest thing about that build-up video is that the actual storyline build-up over the previous month or two wasn't that good. And that is factored into the video, like the whole Deborah uh, angle becoming the Rock's manager, which makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Yeah. And But it was it was Limp Bizkit, it was 2001, so that was acceptable. And it was wrestling at it, uh, WWF wrestling, kind of at its artistic peak. And it's rock and stone cold at the end of the day. Like even if you give them iffy storylines, they'll make it work. But it's good that you start us off that way because I think when people think of strike exchanges now, they'll very often cite it as something where the Japanese influence has overtaken a lot of wrestling, not just American wrestling, but just sort of indie scene wrestling that you'll see it happen in the UK as much as anything. 
and that the two people very often towards the middle or later end of the match will suddenly start to open up and invite exchanging of blows. You're I, I, like Tomohiro Ishii. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, and that's obviously someone we're going to have to talk about a lot in this. But it's not actually anything brand new. Very often, a lot of great American wrestlers in, in the past, especially heated feuds, will open with two guys exchanging right hands. A really good example for that I would give is the Canadian Stampede 10-man tag team match between the Hart Foundation and a team cobbled together of Stone Cold, Ken Shamrock, Goldust, and the Legion of Doom. And that does open up. Everyone's staring each other out, and then only Brett and Steve Austin are left in the ring, and they just slug it out. One punches, the other one responds, one punches, the other one responds, until Brett knocks Stone Cold to the corner and essentially stomps a mud hole in him and walks it dry. (laughs) But I think it's a really good opening point to point out that, I mean, brawling is so popular in in American wrestling in particular uh, from that period of time and and before then, the the Terry Funks and the Dusty Rhodes and everything. And and another example, if you want to go down the technical end of it, would be the Ric Flair-Ricky Steamboat chop exchanges. Yeah. So it's not something that like Japanese wrestling introduced and there wasn't really any of it in American wrestling. Now, when you look at Mexican wrestling in comparison, whereas that was always more of a a dance, a movement, a a high-flying spectacle, it was funny when we were doing the five-star matches to look at how gradually strikes became incorporated into Mexican wrestling to the point of figures like now Penta, El Sierra Miedo and and um, Ray Phoenix will incorporate kicks more than anything to their arsenal. But it wasn't really... But but within American wrestling, it was one type of thing, which was almost like the old cowboy western slugout, like John Wayne. Or... uh, But that that sped up at points as well. Like, uh, a modern contemporary in America, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, their strike exchanges are very much the Canadian hockey fight style. The hockey fight, yes. But, well, I guess that one makes more sense in a way in that, that one of the things that you have to... Exp- that, that people might roll their eyes at is the exchange element where it's essentially two people agreeing to absorb blows and it's a test of testosterone. And I think you can look at the difference between like the old Stone Cold Bret Hart slugfest is they're throwing a punch, expecting to absorb a punch in the process, that it's part of the... By opening yourself up, you you know you're you're gonna probably leave yourself open. It's not it's not. And whilst it is a sign of masculine, you know, it is very much a. It's a very much a sign of masculinity. It's like I can absorb more than you, and I can dish out so much that you won't continue. But it's also shorter, and it's and it's kept a, a rhythm, and one gets the upper hand. Usually, they usually will be the baby face getting a punt. You know, eventually hitting him, and the other guy can't return fire, which is what happened at the start of that. Stone Cold Bret Hart slugfest or the heel will undercut them maybe with a knee to the gut or a kick or something along those lines so they they win the yeah maybe an eye poke yeah on down the other end or um with Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat very often it'll be Ric Flair will end up taking three chops or and and just doing a flare flop or or <laughs> or leaving the ring and then flopping yeah yeah exactly so it's not something that was just brought in wholesale to Japan from Japanese wrestling and now everyone does it but the 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 element of it being like 
two people planting their feet, standing up opposite sides and beckoning it on, and sometimes no-selling the other person's uh, strikes. That is definitely more down the Japanese end of it. So I guess one question I would have is, do you have a one makes more sense than the other, and do you think it's something that people use too often now? That's one of the things that, like, especially since we've done the Melts 5-star stuff so much, that it almost becomes part of the formula, and it's just, I know what's coming here, and you're not going to... I'm not I'm not being surprised anymore by this. To go work backwards and go to your second question first, I, I think it is being overused a bit, particularly in New Japan matches. We I think we've used the mm. term formulaic a lot uh, when recently talking about New Japan. And that does feel a bit like of a you must follow a certain structure kind of thing, which is weird. Ultimately, though, whether or not it's correct... I do feel it is being slightly overused, as I've said, but whether or not it's a certain style is correct, whether it is the um, Iron Man just keep wailing on each other or the short, sharp burst. It depends on the flow of the match. It's a storytelling device. So a good example flow, it, uh, it was over long, but it made sense to be over long, was... Nakamura versus Zayn, for example, at NXT TakeOver Dallas. But sometimes, um, with certain New Japan matches, I have found them to be a bit contrite going too long. It's it's one of those things that only the people who have been in the ring would be able to get a good indicator of getting the length exactly right. But I don't think everyone... I don't think that's always being achieved. What purpose does it ultimately provide what what purpose is it serving in the match is it just almost outside of the match is it that it's something that actually doesn't expend as much energy from the wrestlers if they're on their knees and it almost allows them to get a breather because there will be those extended periods where they're both standing there waiting and then bringing it back to it i think it's like a bridging device it gets them from stanza one told by wrestling moves not necessarily one to two it might be like it's something that can come in at any time in the match really because it can open the match like Stone Cold Steve Austin and Bret Hart or The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin it can come one really good example I saw was um, my favourite match ever which is Bret Hart versus the British Bulldog that every so often during Bret Hart's period of dominance the Bulldog would try to fight back and he would do so with the punches and Bret would exchange but then Bret would eventually Recover, So it's a way of giving Bulldog a moment of fighting back, but ultimately being overwhelmed, and then... There are times where the lack of a strike exchange at the start of the match can be really, really jarring. Shane McMahon's feud against The Miz. The Miz, despite the fact that Shane, like, battered his dad, didn't charge the ring and, like, go, like, full-on head-on and, like, take a swing or two. I mean, babyface Miz is weird anyway. But that was just really like, well, you're meant to be like the guy we're rallying about. He's he's battered your dad, but oh, you're just gonna what? Try and like do a, do a normal lockup? It just it just didn't seem right. Then it's like, is that a strike exchange or is that a beatdown? An opening beatdown shine because oh, or against one of the best pure strikers in the world, Shane McMahon. It's a strike exchange. What's so funny about Shane McMahon is that his strikes look so bad and yet they hurt so much. Because he's ultimately trying to do it a realistic, in his eyes, boxing way. But that also means he's not trying to... Weirdly, the Wilder 
gesticulations can allow you to sort of work with more air in front of you. I've always said that my favourite wrestler is Bret Hart, and I'll bring him up time and time again. I always loved how he threw a punch. And what he would often do was put his hand on the opponent's head and essentially hit... And my guess is that he's striking his thumb, which is also how you do the headbutt as well, mm. that you put your hand over and then you, you, you smack your head against your own hand so it gives a, a gap in between. But his punches always looked really good, I thought. I think there's this, like... And it sounds like very contradictory. Like there's this there's this pursuit of realism in striking, and I think it's gone slightly too far in two separate branches. So the Undertaker's MMA obsession, where he got kept getting called the best pure striker. Bless him. He what if he was wrestling that in the night, like with his nineties body, it would be a lot better. Like in all fairness, but then and you mentioned headbutts, and when you said headbutts, immediately in my mind. Shibata came in my head because he took it to the extreme where he headbutted someone so hard he ended his own career and that was like oh yeah I'll I'll make it look realistic by actually doing it like well where's that got you (laughs) what I was going to also point out was that the MMA influence like you say is so prevalent in it and I think that that's changed what wrestling is in so many ways because it is more, and by me saying it's more strikes and submission focused, that almost sounds like isn't that pretty much all of wrestling? But it's, but you know, there's there's knowing how to throw a punch, and there's also knowing how to look like you've thrown a punch. That was the great, that was a great thing that Mick Foley said when he was waiting to finally meet Terry Funk in the ring and take one of those Terry Funk punches and wonder how he made it look so good without hurting his opponent, and then he found out, oh, he just punches you. That's how he does it. Well, I wanted to make a point as well, because you're saying people going down the more realistic route, but one of the funny things about pro wrestling is that they're going down the more following the rules route, because wrestlers don't actually throw that many punches anymore. Have you noticed that? That when they're in the ring, yeah. they're doing forearms and elbows, which is a, which is them following the rules of wrestling, which are that you're not supposed to have a closed fist in the match. And down more, the, because that brawling attitude era style with weapons and everything sort of died with with austin's retirement and so it became more about Mm. wrestling again and so then when they did start doing strikes it was more down the all japan influence of elbows and kicks and knees yeah and so who who throws punches in wrestling matches really anymore other than maybe roman reigns i suppose well roman but again, with the he throws them less now. He's heel. It's he he's got like more forearms in him now, like his ground and pounds of like uh, Jay Uso, for example. Moxley throws some punches, but yeah. again, it, it, there are a lot of forearms in that as well. Uh, his I Quit match with Kingston, there were some punches thrown, but that's not a regulation match. So I and it was a deeply personal feud. So they had. The well, I always to used that. to laugh at JR saying uh, how one of his biggest bugbears was someone going on the second rope and doing the 10 punches. It was like that. Nothing exposes the business more. And it's like, that was a spot from the eighties and seventies. That was, but he does have a point. Yeah. It didn't really make much sense that these bare knuckle fists were barely making a, a, a you know, barely making a dent. And so much, I mean, Hulk Hogan, when he would Hulk up, it was always right hands. 
and Macho Man with his jabs and everything else. It's it's funny how there's not as many people throwing wild haymakers anymore in in wrestling, because I think it's gone down that more mm. sports basis, and therefore if you're following the rules then you shouldn't be throwing punches. And the Japanese MMA, not MMA, but martial arts influence. Because obviously, you've got two different ways of doing the strikes. You've got the martial artist style, which is the tradition of Inoki and the tradition of strong style. And then you've got the King's Road, which is more NWA American influenced. And that was still more about elbows and forearms, the Dory Funk Jr., Jack Briscoe approach to it. Uh, and then when mm. Kawada comes in, then the Kawada kicks. I mean, that is now a term, essentially, to people. And now, now you've got, again, because wrestling is now just essentially all fused together. you got someone like Kota Ibushi, where it's about unleashing an arsenal of of martial arts kicks. And, and Alist- Alistair Black, a.k.a. Tommy End, with his background... Um, and of course, the beloved thigh slapping. Uh, you've got Pac with his kicks. Uh, Ray Phoenix, uh, we've spoke about earlier, but sort of lucha infused and absolutely insane, God given ability infused. Um, yes, Kenny's, Kenny's V triggers yeah. as well. And uh, the gold, well, the golden trigger is kind of like a souped up version of that, the BTE trigger, they call it. Yeah, you don't see a lot of. Just regular punches now, you're right. Uh, but the people who are wrestling now grew up tape, tape, tape trading all Japan and stuff like that. So that's what influenced them. So it's just the evolutionary stage, stage that we're at, I guess. I, I wonder where you go with... I mean, another funny version with strike exchanges that we saw recently, you, you mentioned the hockey fights... Uh, that Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens would do, and Kevin Owens did with a few other people. I think he's done it with AJ Styles and a few others. Um, you've also got the version of what the MMA again, because the MMA, I suppose, maybe exposes the the significance of a right hand, or you know, certain things now have different levels of um, devastation in wrestling and. Armbars now look more deadly and, and uh, submissions in general because we now know what an armbar does. It's weird because um, we're currently watching a Olympic medalist boxer get pushed in AEW. I think they've done it well with his strikes like because he doesn't throw a lot of punches, but his punches matter. Well, I think it's also important that they went with the... Yeah, and they went with the body shots for the most part. When he does the KO blow, I think it was behind the referee's back, wasn't it? But the punch to the gut is... I don't know if it's meant to be legal in wrestling. I guess it makes sense. No no close fist to the face. But maybe close fist to the body's acceptable. Um, but I was going to the other type of fight. And now you see what an MMA slugfest is. And oftentimes that will be the last 20 seconds of a of a three five minute round five minute match where they just suddenly both plant their feet on the ground and just start swinging and that's the sort of strike ex- that's the sort of strike exchange that you saw with Pete Dunne and Tyler Bate in the NXT Chicago match do you know what I'm talking about that just straightforward yeah and in MMA that sort of that comes from de- that's out of desperation because one guy's like the scorecard's probably not in my favor yeah but the other one has to engage as well so, like, the classic example of that would probably be Forrest Griffin against Stefan Bonner in the Ultimate Fighter finale that really maybe helped put MMA on the map more than any other fights. And it was such an even, bloody battle that they just went, fuck it, 
and just started throwing haymakers. It is weird as like sometimes you see that in real combat sports. There seems to become an innate understanding of we're just going to do this and see what happens. Another good example of that that opened a fight was Diego Sanchez against Clay Guida. I remember loving that fight as well and that was just them both just standing there. Like I say, plant your feet and just start punching and see if anything comes from it. When we talk about the Japanese and and it taking a large chunk of it and also it being ultimately like a, a testosterone a masculinity battle. I think we were saying like maybe the most biggest one that was like a, a cause of both celebration and debate and I think has always been that way. It's almost like the strike exchange equivalent of the Ricochet Will Ospreay Best of the Super Juniors like is it choreographed style sequence so we're going to talk about the strike exchange version of that and we're going to do something a little bit different in that we're going to actually live watch it and discuss it as it's going along and that was the new the pro wrestling noah 2004 tokyo dome match or maybe 2000 2005 sorry tokyo dome match between kenta kabashi and kensuke sasuke now kabashi comes from the all japan tradition but he had also really brought in the chop element. You know, he was his if if Masao was elbows and Kawada was kicks, and maybe Akira Tawe was sumo inspired slaps. Kobashi's was chops. Oh, I forgot about. How did I forget about Tawe? Mint. And with this one, he's going up against the man that comes from the New Japan tradition of it, and is also a huge man and known for his wicked, wicked hard chops. It was. <laughs> you, he's like you became from Boston for a second. It was wicked hard chops. Hey, <laughs> let's, let's go off and have some chowder after this. Chowder, say chowder. it right, Frenchie. <laughs> I'll wow. kill you. I'll kill all of you. So, Simon, do you have the video prepped? What we're looking at is a video that's called Kent Kabashi versus Kensuke Sasuke Chop Battle. It might go away, but you can find the match itself. And at the moment that we're about to start pressing play, Kabashi's on one knee about to stand up in his Noah traditional black and purple regalia. And Kensuke is in a white and sort of turquoise blue or teal blue. Uh, turquoise teal, yeah. Yeah. So have you got it lined up? I am waiting for the countdown to press play. Okay. Three, two, one, play. Oh, wait, mine's freezing up on me. Okay. So, I've just got Kabashi hitting him with a kick and uh, Sasuke hitting with a couple of kicks and Kensuke's no-selling. Are you on that as well? Yep. Yeah, he's just popped straight up. So, the first chop's been thrown and Kensuke's calling for more. And so, this is the funny thing of, like, so many of these strike exchanges are about... Um, no selling until selling's forced upon them. And that's not, again, as we were saying with the Stone Cold Rock or Stone Cold Bret Hart or Rick's Flair, Ricky Steamboats. Sasuke's got massive traps as well. Yeah. So those chops, like, they look... When you said massive, lad, you weren't kidding. Now that's beginning to trade, that's that one dude running back to his seat in the background. <laughs> Brilliant. And so they're just chopping backwards and forwards on this. And now the crowd's going crazy because of how long it's taken. We're just reaching the one minute point. And it is just the case of... So then it... But then the question becomes, is it better to do it like this or do one chop and take a bump off of it 
and therefore you haven't killed yourself, and that chop looks awesome. Well, I mean, as I say, they don't seem to have lost the crowd at all. Well, it seemed like the crowd had reached a peak, and now they they fell back down. And now they've gone back up. Like, wow, this is at this point. It's like this is longer than you're expecting from these sort of exchanges, and there's no sign of them slowing down. And it's keeping a rhythm as well, really, isn't it? It's the- yeah, it's weird. Like the chops look hard, and they they you can see the sweat fly, especially when uh, Sasuke oh, throws. And now, so um, Sasuke's knocked him into the corner. And here's where you get... And so, therefore, now it's Kabashi that won the first exchange, essentially. Now he's doing the traditional rapid fire. Oh, but Sasuke's having none of it. And what's funny is his are less rapid. Well, they're increasing in rapidity. But there's a longer swing behind it. But Kabashi immediately... (laughs) So, this is the thing. Like, they're hurting each other so badly. But neither will ultimately is ultimately making it mean anything in the eyes of you some by not You already selling. see the the red chest of Kenta Kabashi. Like, the red is already coming up. And again, and and is, I do like that it's like they've got their own techniques. That Kabashi's are rapid and Sasuke's are more... Because there's thorough, so many, it, it, you can see that they're hurting. But because they're thrown so often, it looks like they're not hurting. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. That is the question then. That are they ultimately hurting themselves in in more ways than one? And they're back. Oh, now we're back to where we were, but now they're much slower. So they are. They're selling the story because they are now starting to show fatigue. But you know, at but, what cost? My God, at what cost? Yeah. I mean, you're hitting each other, but you're yeah, the diminishing return is is definitely not the phrase here, isn't it? It's like. Well, I don't know if it's diminishing return. Now it's willing themselves up and Kabashi's yelling to the crowd and Sasuke's returning fire. So now it's a case of whoever wins. But on the flip side, right, with Kenta Kabashi matches that we covered, mainly against, like, Misawa, like, the head and neck drops that we saw, I mean, yes, this hurts, but it's not going to put them in a wheelchair, is it? And they've built up a so, lot of muscle on those on those traps and those chests to absorb some of this. Oh, he is like absolutely stacked as well. He is like Well, I think the key as well of this is that Kabashi's met someone who's his match as far as throwing chops goes. It would be like Masawa meeting someone who similarly has like the deadliest elbows. Now they're doing the nose to nose. Ah, uh, yep, staring intensely at each other. But now that it seems like they're trying to go back into the speed up the tempo slightly, so it's sort of halfway between where they were a moment ago and where they were at the start. But is that also it's that thing of like standing there waiting for it uh, that some will probably think is just dumb? You know, no boxer actually stands there waiting for a punch to come. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, no, that doesn't make any sense. Whatsoever. And he's down. But essentially, Kabashi threw his entire body at him. So it was like a chop by way of a cross body almost <laughs> in knocking him down. But I think what's key to that as well is that it's uh, Kabashi that does... Spoiler alert. It's Kabashi that does go on to win this match. Oh, and that yeah. chop was almost like a, like an elbow as well that just showed on the replay. So... 
I mean, what do you think when you watch that? Because that was one that was like, uh, what was the point of that? These guys just hurt themselves for five minutes over something that doesn't necessarily, you know. But others think that's the most exciting and almost a reinvention of what it was. And you see a lot more strike exchanges that are like that now, I think. Maybe not that long. That's still ridiculously long. No, that's that's the shark being jumped. Uh, there. Well, you don't, so you didn't like it? Too long. Mm. Ultimately. So, so I'm like... curious, what did you think, therefore, of the recent G1 Climax match between Kota Ibushi and Taichi that I believe was literally a leg kick battle for the whole match? Like, nothing else was hit. I've not seen it yet. Oh, okay. Um, I've not seen a lot of that. Um, I, I, I wouldn't like it. I like Kota Ibushi's leg kicks. Um, but ultimately he is, he does, I don't like his strike exchanges. I like his like glazed over mode. Like against Jay White, for example, he goes in, there's that Mark line that I think Chris Carlton says that the, the, the mortal soul of Kota Ibushi has left the building. And he just, like, wails on someone. I like those sort of more than I like his exchanges, you know. Like, he only goes into this ovenness. Yeah, it's, um, but that's not the strike exchanges. But that's the funny... I mean, that was, that was another reason why we love the Jay White match so much, because... Because he's not trying to get hit. Yeah. But he's... With, as I say, like, but Kota is guilty of shark jumping, but that's sort of his style like when you look at his neck drops as well like he he um throws himself into situations where he he shouldn't be and that harks back to my earlier point regarding realism what cost are you willing to pay for it it's one of those situations where if you look back down the line like were all those kicks worth it like wrestlers are hypercritical of themselves by nature um if they sat down and watched that back like five years later would they be like well i I didn't need to do all of this to get that response less is more uh is the phrase so where do you where do you see this going then i mean do you think it's just going to be a cliche until it becomes because i mean you never really see as much now that the indie standoff do you know what i mean that opening exchange of arm drags arm drags hip tosses that it became so cliched and then the standoff and the audience applauds. You still get it sometimes, but it's nowhere near as prevalent as it once was, or they will always undermine it by then someone immediately doing something heelish or they won't they won't milk it. So does it become or is it because it's so in, I mean it is ingrained in especially in New Japan pro wrestling, that it's just always been part of their culture. And and I don't know. I don't know. Well, Culture will always, like, pin a level of it into wrestling. But fashion and trends are cyclical. So maybe, like, 20 years down the line, we are back to, like, full-on, like, Pier 6 brawls in, like, main all throughout mainstream wrestling. Because they've not gone away. It's just the mainstream aren't using them. Like, there, there is a place for all styles of wrestling at all times. It is there... So like uh, boot cut try so like boot cut jeans, uh, punching in wrestling is due a comeback. Yeah, yeah, basically, it's. But yeah, punching is due a comeback. But strike, as you say, because striking's morphed. I like where striking's at now. 
personally. Like, well, do you like the list the, of? Um, do you like the thigh slaps? I understand the thigh slaps. I like the thigh slaps when I don't see the thigh slaps. There are varying levels of ability in terms of the wrestlers at hiding them. Pack, I don't know if he does it or it's just like his big meaty thighs slapping against each other, but his like thighs, like his sounds, he like his kicks make are insane. They're absolutely ridiculous. They. I really like watching him strike. And, like, kicks... I think kicks are the new punches. Okay. Basically, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the... I think one of the things... Well, let's get into... um. What about slaps? The older uh, Pancrase... Again, another Kojibushi match that we did definitely watch because we had to cover it was him doing the Pancrase slap fight between himself and Minoru Suzuki at the... the okay. I think it was so the last from G1, my... the G1 before that. I think it was the last G1. My specific viewpoint of like watching wrestling, and we've covered before that my I hadn't watched barely any Japanese wrestling before we started the Meltzer project in earnest. Uh, slaps were like women's wrestling, really. It was like one of those things. It's like, but then I learned I got through watching Japanese wrestling. Like initially, it was like, oh, they're slapping, but then whoa, those are those aren't like your your, your dynasty end of episode slaps. Those aren't your you're not my mother. Yes, I am. EastEnders slaps. They are. I'm gonna. I'm not allowed to close my fist, so I'm just gonna take my palm and use it like a fist and smash it into your face. I'm not here to like. Well, it give makes you a light yeah. slap, and it makes such a satisfying sound as well. Yeah, when that's someone, another like advantage I mean, to it. That moment when Samoa Joe in the uh, match with Kent Kabashi, his last gasp of energy is just throwing these slaps at Kent Kabashi, and it. It's showing that he's got nothing left in the tank, but it was this one last defiance, and the crowd goes ape shit for them because they make such a satisfying sound. But see, Kabashi's... Joe seems like a bridging gap wrestler in terms of like how strikes were because he's very much fighting King Strike in Kenta, but he is one of the best pure, like best strikers of the last twenty years, in my opinion. Like, and he sort of like takes the old with with his like slaps and like punches his punches look like gnarly as anything but his olay kicks uh his his low kicks to like the legs as well as like his high kicks just all look impressive he does all of it but he matches his opponent doing it well i think we kind of got as far as we can with this it was always a very not minor subject or esoteric subject, but definitely one that I deliberately picked it because we couldn't go forever on it. Um, but there are still more nuances to it that we can talk about in the future because I guess it was more about strikes as well as strike exchanges. Yeah, yeah. But it's what, hard to do one without uh, doing the other. And so because of that, I mean, one thing I would like to not see as far as whatever are strike exchanges are those shared headbutt spots where they're on their knees and they're ramming their heads into each other. I would like that to be banned. I mean, we've talked about the Shibata yeah. headbutt thing. I mean, that's, you know... That's just silliness. Um, and we, obviously we had before then, yeah, Nigel McGuinness and Brian Danielson as well. Yeah, well, him and yeah, him and Dolph Ziggler, that headbutt spot in the... Well, I mean, you can do it. It looked like they were more sort of targeting each other's shoulders in a way. Yeah. So it was more acceptable, but just something I don't want to see, really. 
Um, but what we're going to talk about for our Mount Rushmore is we're not going to talk about our favourite strike exchanges, but we are going to talk about our favourite strikers. And by that, I don't mean Harry Kane. I mean our favourite, maybe Kane with his thrusts, you know, those sort of... Up ones. The up ones, which uh, are pretty cool. And I like Roman Reigns' version of that as well, his sort of uppercuts. Uh, Simon, do you want to go first or second? I will go first. Uh, I just want to throw in a couple of quick honourable mention specific examples. Um, one of my favourite opening ones to show the technical ability over the like strength was Shawn Michaels versus John Cena. Uh, one of their opening strike exchanges where Cena swings, Shawn ducks and like gives him a one-two. Uh, WrestleMania 23, I believe. Yeah, that's a really good one. And um, oh, who else is really, really, really... like Again, Kingston Moxley recently in that I Quit match because that had, like, those strikes conveyed like how personal the storyline was. Um, speaking of Moxley, in my list, John Moxley is one of the best strikers I've seen. Um... Samoa Joe, I think it's already been alluded to uh, that he's he's in my list. Stone Cold Steve Austin, for me, personified striking and strike exchanges. The amount of different people you've seen him do it with. Undertaker, Triple H, The Rock, Mick Foley, Vince, even to an extent. Um, but the absolute best, the green and silver legend that is, Mitsuharu Masawa. My fourth. So to summarise, Misawa, Austin, John Moxley, Samoa Joe. Okay. I am going to go with three different ones. Um, but I want to give my honourable mentions. Bret Hart. Like I said, I love his punches. I always love Mick Foley's... <laughs> when, when you got to dish it out. I want to give Jerry Lawler some love for his 80s shtick of the... His great uppercuts, sort of underneath thing. I mean, he took it to the nth degree by having the fist drop, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the yeah. The ultimate exactly. strike. Yeah, like a lot of his wrestling was just throwing punches, but he made it work. And also Terry Funk, his legendary brawling partner of many years. Uh, but the four that I've gone for are Kotribushi, because of the variances that he adds to it with his kicks and his punches and his slaps like there is a sense of a man his whole thing is that he's supposed to be this perfect wrestling entity and that you know he can fly he can lift he, he can throw people he can do everything uh i'm going minoru suzuki because he legit oh, knows how to throw a hit yep. yep 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 i've gone with um alistair black aka tommy m because i think he brings an accuracy to his strikes that if you look at him throwing a kick and slapping his thigh compared to you know, old Muay Thai expert CM Punk's way of throwing a kick. There's a vast difference. The fact that I think there's only one real example of the blackout, which is a very, very, um, in like, it needs to be inch perfect. And I've only seen him screw up the timing of that once. Uh, with a, It's Black with, Mass, isn't it? Not the blackout. Yeah, whatever. Whatever it's called. Um... The only time I've seen him screw that up was the match with uh, what's his face now? The guy who's got a five star match attached to his net, um, the freak. Um, Lars Sullivan. Lars Sullivan. That was the only one that didn't really. He didn't quite hit all of it. That one. 
And the last one I've gone for is you went for Masawa, I went for Kawada. Because I think his Kawada kicks, they're literally, that's what they're called now. And I like that he had, the whole thing about Toshiaki Kawada was he just had sort of blunt force and no precision to it. Whereas Masawa, you know, he was all about pinpoint accuracy. Whereas Kawada, whether it's a slap or a kick, or his attempt at a forearm or a chop, he's just trying to hurt you as much as possible. And there's nothing, there's nothing graceful about it. So we need to settle on one for us both to give up on. You seemed a bit like holding your hands up in in agony at some of my names that you hadn't thought of. So is there one you thought out of mind that would be a good one to share and and one that you might drop from your list? You seemed Ibushi and Suzuki in particular, you were like. I I did. I... But I look at my four and I I can't make... There's there's very little chance of me being able to make a case to drop any of those. Like, for me, they're like... They have to be on, on, on the mountain, you know? Are there any of mine that you wish you'd had? Um... I do love Austin, I do love Masawa, I do love Moxley, and I do love Joe. I think I would probably, Joe would be the one I'd be the most okay with. Because like you say, he was quite an important figure in that UFC style of actual martial arts strikes becoming more prevalent. Obviously he had Loki before him, but his was all about kicks and recklessness. Whereas Joe's was more controlled, He I does suppose. it all. Yeah. As well. Um, I think it has to be Joe. But I don't know who you would drop out of your... It's hard because... I'll, I'll tell you what. My, one of my honourable mentions was Ibushi. I don't have Suzuki on my list anywhere. I think Ibushi deserves more than an honourable mention. I will drop Kawada because it's more just in fitting with the character. But it wasn't, like, graceful, necessarily. I think Suzuki's such an pre- important figure as well. And just, you know... And and you look at the match he had with John Moxley, which was a good you want a good example of how you can do strike exchanges with the long pauses, but it fitting the characters in presentation. Then watch the match that they have for the uh, IWGP US title. I think it was um, as a great example of that, or it was a G one match anyway. So I'll drop Kawada for Samoa Joe. Um, I think that may be the first That's time. And it's not like Kings Road isn't represented because Misawa's in my list, so. I just like if you look at Masawa's rolling elbows, it's like boom. Right. Well, that has been. Let me tell you something for another episode, Simon. If people want to throw a verbal kick or a written roundhouse right to the bread basket, by which I mean your email inbox, how can they do so? Uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the different. Three main different types of strike, kick, chop, punch. My name is Logan Mullen, that's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A-N, as in the first two letters of ankle, which is often what smacks a wrestler in the face after Kota Ibushi has gone flying at them with a kick. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, letterbox, if you're putting at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. LMTYspod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. Next week, if there is not a Meltzer five-star match, and we were very surprised to find out that he didn't give the Okada Shingo Takagi match five stars. <laughs> I think we'd almost, like, pre-booked that. Yeah, we essentially had done. I, yeah. Um, so if there are no five-star matches in the interim, then we'll be going back to match of the week, and it's my pick this time for another man that a lot of people love that their strikes and an embodiment of that New Japan strong style. 
It's our first ever Shinya Hashimoto match. And the third member of the Three Musketeers is taking on another key figure within New Japan from that period of time that maybe doesn't get a lot of love compared to what he deserves compared to his counterparts, and that's Hiroshi Hase. The Hiroshi Hase match is in December of 1994, if you want to look that up. But there's nothing left to say at this point, except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a great time. Until the next time.